0: It is Monday, October 8th, 2018. This is 3000 NFL Mock Draft, a podcast about the Seattle Seahawks, For myself, Kenneth Arthur of Field Goals, and Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com get together to talk about the Seahawks, the NFL, the college football matchups, the NFL Draft, the stuff going on in the world today. Um and today we're going to be talking about the Seahawks as they lose to the Rams 33-31 on Sunday, Week 5, Seattle drops to 2 and 3, but given that the Rams are 5 and 0 and easily the best team in the NFC and arguably the NFL, uh, it's really only between them and the Chiefs at this moment as we've seen last year with the Chiefs that can change pretty quickly. So, you know, we'll see how things progress. But the Seahawks do play well against the LA Rams, well enough to, you know, get in position to almost maybe kick a field goal that would have given them a lead. Um, But, you know, play well. A lot of people expected a blowout, which, you know, they come off week four, perhaps their worst game of the season, even though it's a win against the Arizona Cardinals. They come back uh, to play the Rams. They prove Maybe they prove a little bit that uh, playing at home does matter for them, and uh, that's encouraging, you know, given that they do have a lot of home games coming up. Uh, And their next game is not a home game for either team, really. Uh, Technically, it will be uh, for the Raiders, but uh, not really a home game. Uh, They will be traveling to uh, London to play the Raiders this week. So uh, Rob, being a resident of... Uh, England will be able to give us you know, some of that 411, which, Rob, is uh, information here in the States. That's what you dial for information. Don't know what it is. And by the way, I don't know if that's a thing that still exists, but uh, I guess it depends if how many people still have landlines and rotary phones. But we're going to get into rotary phones. Trust me about that. Uh, and we'll be talking about uh, that game. But starting out with the Seahawks- Versus the Rams, obviously, Rob. Something that we talked about all offseason, something you've talked about all offseason, is Seattle's commitment to the running game and how they were going to do that differently uh, this season as opposed to the last couple, and that they were going to get their running back on track. And they did that on Sunday. Um, they've done, you know, they've committed to that run game in the last couple of weeks, um, but it was really successful against the Rams. Uh, what did you see against the Rams for the Seattle offense that you really liked? Um, and do you, th- how much of it do you think had to do? With the Rams' defense, do you think that there's some concerns for the Rams in terms of their defense because uh, they've given up 31 points in each of the last two games?
1: Well, the Rams certainly do have some issues, I think, in in the secondary. And and the fact that Marcus Peters kept getting torched is is going to be an issue for them. They don't seem to have the quality defensive backs. And I think Minnesota and Seattle did a good job trying to limit the damage up front, which is obviously their main strength with Sue and with Brockers and with Aaron Donald, of course. But I think all of the the praise I'd rather sort of just give to the Seahawks and the offence. I thought it was a really great offensive performance. I think the main positive for me is that the offensive line is now a major strength in the team. For years and years, people have complained about the offensive line. And with good reason, in some cases, especially last year, it wasn't good enough. And the scheme wasn't good enough. I think that the being a pure zone blocking scheme wasn't doing them any favors. They were struggling to execute. I think the coaching changes have certainly we're seeing now are having a major impact on the offensive line and the way that the the different approach, the different body types, the different types of blockers, and the way that they're mixing the schemes up. There is there are some some different ways that they are running the ball. It is not just a zone blocking scheme, and uh, the variety is helping them. And I think that physicality up front. I just. It, it was, I, I really like nothing more yesterday than just watching J.R. Sweezy and DJ Fluker and Justin Britt going to work on that interior, blowing Sue and, and Donald off the line and creating huge running lanes for the running backs. I thought it was fantastic to watch. I think we can see Jermaine Fetty has taken some huge step forwards this year, which is a great thing. Dwayne Brown's holding down the left-hand side of the line. George Fank came in and had a big impact. This is a defensive line, Kenny, that, as we all know, has dominated the Seahawks for years, whether it was in LA, St. Louis, or in Seattle. It was always a major mismatch coming up against Donald and Co. And the Seattle's offensive line just couldn't cope. And when they beat the Rams, they did it in spite of the fact that they were getting dominated on the line of scrimmage. And yesterday with the complete reverse was true. It was Seattle's offensive line that was setting the the tone. It was, it was those, it was that line, the Seahawks line that was having the success on offense. And it's what created this platform for a great day, where they could run the ball with great production. It was setting up the play action. Russell Wilson looked comfortable, really, for the first real time, I think, this season. He looked something akin to his best because the, the protection was good, because the run had helped, because the play action was working. And it enabled them to make some big explosive plays downfield. I thought it was a really good offensive performance and something that they can build on Going forward, if they can keep that level of performance up, they're going to give teams absolute nightmares going into the next few weeks. Nobody's going to look forward to playing them. Uh, Sean McVay said in his press conference afterwards that their team was exhausted for the game. And that's what the Seahawks used to do when they were at their best. They used to exhaust teams in Seattle. The team would come out and, and nearly always lose their next game having gone to Seattle because the physical beating that they would would impose on opponents. And that's what we kind of saw this week from the Seahawks. So that's a major positive. I think there are some concerns that I'm sure we'll get onto regarding the defense and the special teams as well, it has to be said. And if they were going to beat the Rams, they needed, I think, all three units to play at a very high level. Sadly, it was the it was the offense really that kind of just matched that that need and, and getting to that very high level. But what a positive performance and definitely something to build on going forward.
0: Yeah, you alluded to the defense and... Um, <clears throat> You know, uh, Jared Goff goes 23 of 32, 321 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, one of those interceptions, you know, an end of half. Hail Mary, uh, 22 carries for 77 yards and three touchdowns for Todd Gurley. Uh, again, he scores a lot of touchdowns in a game, but um, doesn't pick up a lot of yards per carry, uh, a long of 16. And and really, uh, I don't think that anybody would say that Todd Gurley was a main issue here for the Seattle defense Um, But even then, that being said, you know, one of the things that you think would have given Seattle a huge uh, advantage in the fourth quarter when they gave up nine points and uh, essentially lost the game that they were, you know, earlier leading 14 to 10, 24 to 17, 31 to 24, and even 31 to 30 after uh, L.A. misses the extra point, um, was that they were only down to Robert Woods at receiver. And then they had, you know, they had lost Cooper Cup. They uh, had lost Brandon Cooks. They were using Josh Reynolds, who didn't have a target all year long, uh, so they had limited wide receiver options. Um, did the Rams, uh, which seems like you know it'd be a good thing, and, and then even then, I think uh, some of the numbers and some of the play from Trey Flowers was really positive and encouraging. Um, but you know, Tedrick Thompson making his first start at free safety—it uh, seems like maybe. Um, Flowers is getting better, and, you know, we've talked about him as a, as a fifth-round pick that the Seahawks really wanted to have this year. Um, When your evaluation uh, uh, and watching Trey Flowers and, and now Tedrick Thompson in his second year, uh, knowing that Earl Thomas, these are the guys that are going to be starting for the rest of the year unless uh, something goes wrong. So your thoughts on, on this first game here uh, against, you know, the best offense in the NFL. The grade or the uh, evaluation that you would give to to Flowers and Thompson, especially given that maybe uh, Shaquille Griffin did not have such a good
1: game. Well, I thought Flowers played really well. Um, I think that Tedrick Thompson had a decent game, given it was I think it's his first start, wasn't it? And, and not an easy game to come into. Thought he his hitter Brandon Cooks was. Um, you know, a, a real sort of statement hit, really, and you don't want to see Cooks get injured and go off with a concussion. But it, that's the kind of physicality that Seattle became known for, with Cam Chancellor and the big hitting and and having an impact in that way. So um, I thought. You know, I personally wasn't too uh, too bothered about Thompson's performance. Uh, I think the big issue on the defence was two things. The tackling was really poor, and that was a shame to see. There were too many missed tackles. I've watched the game back a little bit today, and uh, Justin Coleman had probably his worst game in terms of the tackling at least. He had a couple of good pass breakups, but maybe just uh, took a little bit of a step back in this in this game against, you know, admittedly a very difficult opponent to play against. But the tackling wasn't good enough and the pass rush was an issue and it, it seemed like almost all of the eggs were in the Frank Clark basket. And it was, if Frank Clark can't make a play... Then nobody's going to make a play. And that's not a big surprise. Rasheem Green wasn't active because he's still injured. Deion Jordan is, is just really struggling to have an impact. He's, he wasn't healthy in pre season. And, and I don't think he's doing anywhere near enough to warrant any kind of long term faith. And they don't have anybody else. They don't have the interior pass rusher. They don't have another edge. Um, Mingo. It can play a bit of Leo as well as the Sam, but you know he's, he's probably going to be the kind of player that flashes some weeks and is pretty quiet the next. And this was one of his quieter games, I thought. Um, and when we look ahead and we think about what this team can be, and it is a reset year, we have to remember that, um, they're not going to be they're absolute. This is not the best of the Seahawks that we're seeing here. I mean, I think that's why the offense. You know, they they. It seems to me that they sort of said this season is about fixing the offense and fixing the run. And if if they can keep this going, then they've achieved that. And then next off season is going to be about getting some more help on the defense. And it's a great draft class for defensive linemen. Um, on Monday, I, I published this uh, thirty players list on Seahawks Draft Blog, which is. 30 players that kind of caught my eye and tried to sort of split them into four tiers with the first tier being players that I think could go in the top 10 and then the last one being players I think could go in the top 50 and it's absolutely dominated with front seven defenders so there's going to be a great chance Seattle will be able to find someone in the first round that they like that can help them either on the defensive line or at linebacker um, so that, that's going to be great maybe they can go and get an impact pass rusher you know my personal preference would be someone like Jadavian Clowney because he's a good age uh, not even 26th or February I think he's got that game breaking ability if you could put him next to a, a re-signed Frank Clark and with Rasheem Green and then maybe get some speed off the edge there as well or an, an interior pass rush threat from this draft class then I think you'd start to say that could be a major strength for the Seahawks and then the defense I think would be able to, to really have a good go at this Rams offense because you've really got to either be exceptional in coverage, have a lot of luck which the Seahawks didn't really have yesterday. There were a lot of sort of fumbles or tip passes that didn't quite go their way. One of the tip passes went to Tyler Higby for a big gain if you remember um, and the other thing you need to do is pressure them and uh, Jared Goff had a pretty easy day back there in the backfield. A With only a few exceptions, namely thanks to to Frank Clark. They need some more pass rush. They need a rotation. Sadly, they're not going to get it to the offseason, though.
0: Um, You know, there's uh, a few young players to be encouraged by, of course, with this uh, game against the Rams. You know, we've talked about uh, one or two here and there, especially along the offensive line. But, you know, thinking of that offense again, um, you know, the Seahawks last year in the seventh round drafted Chris Carson and David Moore and most seventh round picks never play in the NFL, or maybe they get active for a game or two. I mean, that's the majority of seventh rounders. Um, and it's pretty phenomenal that the Seahawks right now, you know, in this game against the Ram had Rams had two who played, uh, really well, you know, Chris Carson having his big game, uh, and, uh, looking like one of the best running backs in the NFL out there, Uh, and David Moore, who catches his first NFL passes and uh, two touchdowns and uh, also looked really good out there, pushing Brandon Marshall closer and closer back to uh, being a free agent, I think. Um, And for the Seahawks, you know, looking for receiving options, looking for skilled players and talent uh, that they've had a hard time finding in recent years, at least, you know, and taking bigger shots to try and find a wide receiver, uh, to try and find a tight end, someone that can do something in the passing game, you know, trying to trade, you know, trading for Jermaine, uh, for Jimmy Graham, trading for Percy Harvin, uh, making these big signings, you know, they've had a hard time finding the next Doug Baldwin and David Moore. You know, getting cut last year, being on the practice squad, uh, coming in at the end of the year, but not getting any, you know, targets. And then uh, this the beginning of this year, making the team. Um, and they've also, you know, kept Keenan Reynolds, uh, or he's been on the practice squad Then he brought up. And uh, it's been an interesting journey for David Moore. And it's only been one game, but... Um, In terms of some of these young guys like Chris Carson, Mike Davis, David Moore, uh, we're not seeing Rashad Penny, uh, and that's got to be somewhat discouraging. Even if uh, Chris Carson and Mike Davis are playing well, it's got to be somewhat discouraging that they used a first-round pick on a player um, that is not playing right now, especially given the attrition rate of running backs, and it's interesting to see uh, Rashad Penny be active, and then, of course, we can get into CJ process being inactive, but Rashad Penny being active and not getting any snaps on offense whatsoever – Uh, And it does make you wonder because Chris Carson's still going to be around for a couple more years. Uh, Mike Davis can be around for a couple more years. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how they plan to move all these places and pieces around moving forward because it does seem like if you go back to 2013, uh, they botched, they kind of botched the Kristen Michael draft pick and, you know, drafting Michael and, you know, Having a you know, Marshawn Lynch already in there and thinking, well, at least I'll mix these two guys in and maybe Kristen Michael will spell Marshawn Lynch, and that never happened. And then when Marshawn Lynch went, uh, couldn't play, or if he, if Kristen Michael did come out, it didn't look that good. Um, so, in your opinion, looking at some of these skill players, uh, how encouraged are you by, like, say, the play of uh, David Moore, and uh, do you have any concerns about? Uh, if and when Rashad Penny will be in the mix for Seattle this year,
1: uh, well, just start with the Penny thing. No, I, I'm not discouraged at all. Really, I thought Penny looked really good last week. I think that um, there's there's a very logical reason why they drafted Penny in in the draft. Uh, I'll come back to that in a second. But um, I think what we have to remember here is that we're only a week removed from Chris Carson not being able to play against the Arizona Cardinals. And when you look through his career, I know we've been down this road before. He couldn't stay healthy at Oklahoma State. He's had his first season in Seattle ended after four weeks because of an injury. And then, after one 30 carry game against the Cowboys, he then had to miss another game. He has not proven whatsoever to be capable of a heavy workload and You know, let's see how he goes on. I mean, in six weeks' time, is he still going to be able to do what he did yesterday? That's a big question mark. I think everybody has to ask that question. And yeah, he's played great for a couple of games against the Cowboys and now the Rams. But is he able to do it for 16 games? Major question mark there. Same for Mike Davis. I mean, I think Mike Davis has just been a breath of fresh air for the last couple of weeks. I just love the way that he plays. His attitude, his physicality, the the electric cuts that he has. And just this incredible, explosive lower body power and agility that he shows for his size. I just think he's been absolutely really fun to watch. Really great to see him out there getting a chance. And I'm and I'm happy for him. But you know, we're talking about two players here that let's let's pump the brakes a little bit before we start saying, well, they're gonna be here for, for a few years yet and Rashad not see the, the pathway for Rashad Penny to get into into the roster. And sort of to go back with a pick, and I know a lot of people are second-guessing the pick now because he's not the one who's running for 100 yards every week. I think we have to remember where the Seahawks were in this offseason, And whether you agree or disagree with this position, I, I always feel like, and this is the opinion I've always had on this, is that I just want my team, which in this case is the Seahawks, to have a vision and then to build around it. The last thing I want is a Jim Mora, wishy-washy kind of don't really know what we're trying to do approach and being absolutely useless like they were in 2009. I want the team, whether they're going to be Sean McVeigh style or Pete Carroll style, to say, this is what we're going to do on offense and defense and we're going to blooming well build towards it. So when Pete Carroll says, we want to run the ball as a feature, that's great. Then do it. Commit to it. If that's what you want your vision to be. Then you go for it. And that's what they said in the off-season. The, the running game has been a shambles for two seasons. We have to get this fixed one way or another. And then you look at the draft class. And the draft this this year, 2018, was a running back draft. You know, that's where the strength was. It was cornerbacks the year before, very early, if people remember. And it was running backs this year. And it'll be defensive linemen next year. Um, so... The Seahawks find themselves. What was it like? Pick number twenty-seven. I think they traded down from eighteen, hadn't they? And at that point, only one running back had gone off the board, and it was Saquon Barkley with the with the top five pick. The rest of this this class was just sat there waiting for them. And we'd said a, a lot in the draft season. You know, we, I'd predicted it a lot, as many others had, that there was. A, I think there was about six players were going to go between, so the late first and some point in the second round and that proved to be absolutely correct you know with there was Ronald Jones there was Sonny Michelle, there was Nick Chubb there was Darius Geis uh, there was Royce Freeman you know people like that were going to go in that range and the Seahawks found themselves in a position to draft any of the whoever they wanted of the group and they took their guy and given that their state had preference was to fix the run and they had this 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 great wealth of riches really that all of the running backs are there they can have whoever they want and they pick the guy that they want which which for me I, I, was just a commitment to what they said they wanted to do in the off-season. So the fact now we sit here five weeks in and Rashad Penny, the rookie, is not the one leading the way and that two others are, is not really much of a concern for me because the the stated aim was to fix the run and they've done it. It'd be nice to, if we could all guarantee that Chris Carson's going to play out the rest of the season and Mike Davis for that matter. But I, I get the sense that as the season goes on, they may well need Rashad Penny. And I think it's a little bit early to be sort of second-guessing the pick there. Because by the end of the year, who knows? Carson might be injured, Mike Davis might be wearing down, and Rashad Penny might look like an absolutely fantastic decision if it keeps this running game going. Um, in terms of the younger players, just very quickly on that, I, I think there's a lot of time, Kenny, I'm sure you've noticed, this is spent sort of analysing what the Seahawks haven't done in the draft over the years, which is a lot of wasted third-round picks. The Malik McDowell pick, a lot of people... Criticize the Jermaine Afedi pick, for example. Now Ethan Posick's not starting but it's very easy to sort of focus on the negatives and not quite as easy to focus on the positives and you quite rightly state there they found chris carson and uh, david moore in the seventh round which at the moment look like two fantastic seventh round picks they've also made some very very smart moves for me i mean i think will disley is, was was looking real what an inspired pick that was before his unfortunate injury in the fourth round terrific pick there um you look at so, the, the, frankly, we can even go as far as say Frank Clark has proven to be really good value for a late second-round pick. Um, I think that you could easily say that Jaron Reed now as a second-round pick has looked like a really good decision, a really good pickup for the Seahawks. Um, you can say Justin Coleman. They got him in a, in a trade with the Patriots a year ago. What an inspired decision that was. Trey Flowers looks really good. Shaquille Griffin looks really good. Um, let's see what Tedrick Thompson has to offer. Michael Dixon... They traded up for him. That looks like a, a really good move on their behalf. You know, there, there's some there are some really decent moves here that the Seahawks have made, and not quite enough attention is made to that. And for all the knocking of the offensive line over the years, look what they've done. I mean, signing Jr. Sweezy, what a great pickup that was to get him back and to, to fit him in at left guard. The Fluka signing has been a revelation, hasn't it, so far? I think that Dwayne Brown, maybe he's not... Um, Quite a you know a top five offensive tackle in the league, but we're not talking about left tackle like we were for the last two years, and that 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 trade has at least tied down that position. And Jermaine Feddy, who knows in a year's time might actually he might have actually developed into one of the better right tackles in the league. He's certainly playing very well for me at the moment. He's not flawless. He still gets beat by really really good players sometimes, but who doesn't at right tackle or left tackle for that matter? So I think there are some positives to talk about with the Seahawks drafted in recent years. And I think maybe that's forgotten a bit too often just because they've had a few whiffs, which is what every team has, really.
0: Yeah. um, And as far as, you know, Rashad Penny, if anyone's curious on my thoughts uh, about using a first-round pick on him, you know, I've written an article on Field Goals today. Uh, You can go to fieldgoals.com to read that, and I won't uh, rehash that. I'll just let people go read that if they choose to. Um, But the Seahawks, you know, they do still have plenty of opportunity in the nfc the nfc has you know no teams that are winless anymore after the cardinals beat the 49ers uh and really the the team that's in the second wild card spot right now is the two and two tampa bay buccaneers who have maybe the worst defense in the nfl and when i look at the nfc i do see a lot of teams uh that even like when i ask people who are good besides the rams they'll say someone like the saints and i agree the saints can absolutely win the super bowl they can get into a position where their defense gets better and it doesn't really need to even be great it just needs to be decent maybe and their offense could take care of the rest but the saints still have maybe it's the worst defense in the nfl is either the saints or the bucks maybe the falcons keanu neal uh so you know Cam Newton. I'm sure has another MVP type season ahead of him because he's playing the Saints, Bucks, and Falcons for the rest of the year, and he could just eat up all year long against that that slate of defenses. That maybe the three worst defenses in the NFL, residing right there in the NFC South, uh, in the NFC North. The Packers don't look great. You know the, we've talked about the Vikings uh, ad nauseum on this podcast. Uh, they get a win over the Eagles, and the Eagles fall to two and three. So even the defending champions are two and three. So it's a very close race in the NFCs, which makes this upcoming game all the more important. Even though it's out of conference, um, the Seahawks get an opportunity. You know they've they've got one win over the Arizona Cardinals, who are one and four, and their next opponent, the Oakland Raiders, are one and four. And hey, you know you just you don't necessarily feel the most encouraged uh, by wins over bad teams but you got to get wins over bad teams you can't lose to the bad teams So the Seahawks will be traveling to London to play the Oakland Raiders. They have to beat the Raiders. You can't lose the games that you should win. If they win, they get to three and three. They go into the bye week. They maybe get Ed Dixon back, who has said on Twitter, you know, he's implied that he'll be back as soon as he's ready to be activated from the NFI, which will be in the bye week in week seven. And they'll get Ed Dixon back. And, you know, there's an opportunity there for Ed Dixon to perhaps play at least as well as Will Disley. Um, And then they'll have another player there. K.J. Wright would get two more weeks, you know that we haven't really talked about at all with regards to the Seahawks losing to the Rams on Sunday, which is the fact that they, didn't, they did it without Earl Thomas. They lost by two points without Earl Thomas and without K.J. Wright and without Michael Kendricks, remember. You know, they didn't have... Michael Kendricks was playing really well in the last few weeks, and he gets suspended. Who knows? They lost by two points and they couldn't stop those plays, you know, that were playing right in the area that you might see at K.J. Wright or Michael Kendricks. So it was a pretty big, you know, opportunity loss there for the Seattle Seahawks. But if they can get to 3-3 three and three and come back, they could be going in a week eight game against the Detroit Lions with an opportunity, you know, to really solidify themselves as being at the top of the heap of, you know, these these non-division leaders like the three and one bears and, you know, the Panthers. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but uh, Rob, you know, well, before we get into the specifics, maybe uh, of London uh, looking ahead, um, we see the Raiders at one and four, John Gruden's first season with Oakland uh, back with Oakland. Um, Things aren't going well, not a lot of sacks, uh, eight interceptions. Um, is there anything that you, in terms of just the team on the field that they're putting out there, anything that you especially fear that the Seahawks need to look out for with regards to the Raiders right now?
1: I don't think there's anything that you would necessarily fear. I think other than the fact that, you know, Marshawn is going to be playing and it's it's Marshawn, and we all know what he's capable of. So um, the, 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 the problem with the Raiders is that, You would go into this game saying you've got to win this game. I I agree with you there, Kenny. And I think if the Seahawks are going to have any kind of a run in the second half of the season, you you can't be dropping to two and four and and losing to Oakland um, in a neutral venue. I think that you have to go and win that game. But, I mean, is it beyond the realms of possibility for Derek Carr and... um, Amari Cooper and Marshawn to have a good game. Sadly, it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility. And equally, you know they have some pieces on defense that you would fear as well. So, um, it's it's it could be a perhaps a closer game than maybe some of us expect. But uh, you know that's the kind of way the Seahawks play anyway. I think it is a game that really, Kenny. If they are going to do anything, they've got to go and win because. Off the off the bye week, they go to Detroit, which I think is looking a, a tougher game now than it did a couple of weeks ago, because Detroit have, have beaten New England and Green Bay in their own stadium. So um, that is a that is going to be a tougher game than perhaps we first thought, and that's going to be the uh, the ten am start as well. I think um then you've you've got the Chargers and Philip Rivers who's always a difficult opponent especially we've seen him over the years against the Seahawks have some good games then you go into the Rams for for the second game against them which as we've seen this weekend is going to be very difficult and it maybe even harder in in LA on their turf you play Aaron Rodgers then on Thursday night on a short week off the back of that Rams game um, and yep, the Packers are not playing particularly well at the moment. But that is still, you know, you, you would never look at a game against Aaron Rodgers and go, "Well, that's that's an easy win." It's never going to be that way. Then they go to the Panthers, and and after that, that is quite a difficult run off the back of the bye. Um, when you sort of think about those five games, <clears throat> I mean, what would be a what would be a fair record when you go to Detroit, to LA, to Carolina, and you're only two games at LA. Um, Chargers and, and and Green Bay. I mean, if you won two or three, would that be about right? I mean, possibly so. And then you've got a slightly easier stretch where you play San Francisco minus Jimmy Garoppolo twice. You've got the Vikings at home on a Monday night game. I think that is. That's not going to be easy. But then you finish with the Chiefs and Cardinals. Maybe by that point, the Chiefs have secured some kind of a bye and they're... Maybe I think that could be actually a good time to play the Chiefs uh, Christmas Eve because if they are, if they are sort of already home and hosed and and ready in the playoffs, it might not be the worst time to play them. Um, And then finishing up with the Cardinals at home, you would you would feel confident about that. So basically, the the gist is is that if they are going to have a chance, I think you've got to beat Oakland and then try and take some momentum into the bye and and then try and come out strong. They are going to have to win some some more road games, I think. Though I think the the home stuff. They're obviously going to be competitive at home. They've got to try and nick some of these away, uh, uh, these wins on the road. The, the big issue for me, Kenny, is, is going to be the pass rush. You know, you've, if you're going to not have the Legion of Boomers secondary anymore, and that's not to say that the young secondary players aren't playing well, but if you're not going to have that ability to, to, to gain an advantage in the secondary, you've got to find a way to, to pressure people. And when you're playing Stafford, Rivers, Goff, Rodgers, Cam in a row, with Kirk Cousins and Patrick Mahomes on the horizon, they've got to find a way to get a bit more pressure.
0: Yeah, I think um, there's the realistic outlook on those five games that maybe the positive is two and three. Um, But yeah, probably the ideal... The ideal is obviously five, no, but the ideal realistic, maybe three and two if they can go to Detroit, get to four and three, win their home games. Uh, And then if they're six and five after 11 games, which is... Where they've been, I think, many times in the past, several times in the past few years, um, it's, uh, it's something to be encouraged by with four of their last five games at home uh, and then the road game being against San Francisco. So, uh, as I think P. Carroll and, you know, as the Seahawks tend to do, getting better in the final two months of the season, uh, which feels like sort of a college mentality, right? You know, in, in college with P. Carroll and his 11 years at USC or whatever it was. Uh, Ten years at USC, nine. Uh, it was always in college. You can lose a big game in the beginning of the year, and and a lot of times in the national picture, especially at that time, the national championship picture. They'd say, "Well, USC is, is one and one now, and they have a loss, and it's, they're going to fall to fifteen in the in the rankings." But at the end of the day, if you win the rest of your games, or you know you get hot at the right time, that's all that matters. And the Seahawks have played that same way. Uh, they start out two and three, two and four. Three and three, five and six, six and five, and then they lose and then they win the rest of their games, go into the playoffs hot. And it's not a team that anybody wants to face. And whether that's the Seahawks or somebody else, somebody, as always happens every single year, there's a team right now that people are saying is maybe not even a playoff team that'll be like, oh, this is the most feared team in the NFL now. Uh, and I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know. Maybe Jacksonville was that way last year, or th- maybe Philadelphia, maybe something like that, but, uh, it's something that happens every year. And so for the Seahawks, I think the, the, what you're shooting for there and, and going into those, yeah, after that Carolina game is six and five, if you get to six and five, you know, and you want to be a team that can get to six and five, that can win, you know, a road game, uh, for sure. And, you know, even as, how much different the teams were a year ago. The Rams were not as good, and the Seahawks were maybe a little bit better, but the Seahawks beat the Rams in L.A. last year. It's always, you know, it's always something that can happen. The Seahawks just played the Rams pretty well uh, this week. So, you know, we'll see what happens when we get to that. But uh, certainly, just, I think just, the road there just, is like 6-5. and five.
1: Just, just sort of thinking about it, I think, yeah, after that Carolina game, they've got to be at five or six wins, I think. Because then if if you can get even if it was five wins rather than six after the Carolina game, then you would be looking at the as you mentioned there quite rightly, four of the last five at home and the road game is against the Niners, which you know they've just lost to the Cardinals at home, they're missing their quarterback. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Chiefs game, it, it could be a game where the Chiefs maybe have already achieved what they need to, to get done, probably won the division, maybe even have got the the first round by um, so at that point there maybe that's a, a more winnable game as a consequence um and the, and that's it i mean if and if you win those last five games even if you start five and six you could get to ten and six and i think that would be good enough for a wild card berth so um even i i, I don't think the fan base will necessarily feel as positive as as the way i've described that if it, if they do get to five and six kenny because a five and six record doesn't look particularly good does it but if they get to 5 and 6 off the back of that carolina game then they've given themselves an opportunity and i think that's all we can ask for in a reset year and to get to 5 and 6 it means they are going to have to win 3 of the the games between themselves and oakland detroit the two la teams green bay and carolina which is it's a tough run of games but three wins is doable especially if they beat oakland straight off the bat then even if they just held serve at home against the chargers and the packers they would get to the five and the six records, so I think that just highlights how important it is to win this Oakland game and give yourselves not as much to do in the in the following games, which is a bit of a tough stretch.
0: Um And moving into some of the specifics on the the uh, England uh, the the game this week in terms of location and um, a lot of people are going to be traveling to the game from Seattle or Seahawks fans uh and maybe they don't know I mean sure a lot of them don't know what they're necessarily in for uh this is the Seahawks' first time playing over there uh it's going to be an interesting situation for all parties involved and and Rob you know you you're you're people might be able to hear it in your voice but you know you live over there uh in uh the land of England uh in the UK um and this is uh, uh this is a game of importance I believe so in terms of like the, the milestone. I think. Tell me a little bit about the stadium that they're going to be playing in, the field that they'll be playing in. Do you have an expectation in terms of where the fan loyalty will lie? Uh, if there are a lot of Seahawks fans, if there's a lot of Raiders fans, if there's just going to be a lot of neutral fans, Jaguars fans. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about the environment that the teams will be playing in? Because uh, I think the thing that people may be most interested in is, you know, the stadium if anybody would have any sort of home field uh, and the field itself, and if it's going to be one of quality, you know, there's been concerns for just in general, people have concerns with certain places and especially places that they don't know uh, in terms of injuries. So uh, how do you, what would you uh, prepare people for in in regards to uh, the game this week? So I
1: think this, the Wembley Stadium is a bit of a soulless place. Um, it, it's a beautiful-looking stadium, Kenny, and when you get inside, the views are quite amazing, especially when it's full. I've been there many, many times, either working or just to go and see either an NFL game or a different uh, soccer game or whatever. Um, but do not expect any atmosphere. Um, there, there will not be this this raucous noise. The, there will not be a home field advantage for either team, even if the, the stadium was let's say, 70% Seahawks or 70% Raiders, it's very difficult to generate an atmosphere in that stadium. And uh, the feel and the atmosphere within it will be that of an exhibition game. Um, None of the London games that I've ever been to have been particularly loud. And I think you have to chalk this down as a bit bit of a positive. I think if the Seahawks were going to the black hole in California, that would obviously be a very strong home field advantage for the Raiders. Uh, the fact that they're having to travel to London, they are completely losing their home field advantage and the Seahawks get them in a neutral venue where it's going to be pretty quiet when both teams are on the ball is um, is a huge plus for the Seahawks. The travel is the same for both teams, there's not really an advantage there. So I do think that this is a a, a net a net win for the Seahawks, the fact that they're going over to London um, to play the Raiders there instead of in California. Um so about the, fam, the fan bases and what we can kind of expect in the stadium, I think it could be fairly balanced. The NFL in England and in the UK had a bit of a, a boom period in the 80s and the 90s. So you do see that there's a pretty decent Oakland Raiders, San Francisco 49ers um, following within this country. Obviously, the Patriots are well-supported because of the success they've had and you know, people like to, to follow a winner. Uh, But I have to say that since I moved back from Vancouver, I used to live in Vancouver, and when I moved back, um, the thought of seeing a Seahawks jersey in England was, I mean, I was practically the only Seahawks fan in in Yorkshire, I think, there weren't many others, I never bumped into a random Seahawks fan. Um, Since the Seahawks had a bit of success, and obviously the Pete Carroll era has taken them to a Super Bowl, I've seen tons of Seahawks gear. So I've I've been walking around uh, the shopping mall in Sheffield and I've seen Seahawks jerseys. I've seen Seahawks caps and hoodies. I remember opening my curtains in my house in Rotherham one day to see a guy wearing a Russell Wilson jersey just walking down the road. Um, There's a a very much a a growth of Seahawks fans who've kind of followed the success that they've had. Yeah, they are a bit bandwagon-y, but we've got to remember these are fans that have probably come to the game in the last 10 years. They're not fans that have been following other teams. It's it's just that since the, the Wembley game started, the NFL has, has found this newfound popularity in this country and has become a much, much more popular sport than it was when I first came back from Vancouver. And fans have looked for a team to follow and have, have liked the cut of the Seahawks' jib. So they've followed the Seahawks. So I think that You've got the, the balance there. You've got the old-school Raiders fans from the 80s and the 90s, and then you've got the the new-school Seahawks fans from the last 10 years who are probably going to make for quite an even match of, uh, of fans in the arena. Um, I'm heading down to London on Thursday morning. There's, there's press conferences before the, the game, obviously. I'm going to go and attend those. Um, I'm already sort of thinking what question I'm going to ask Pete Carroll. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I try and get a question in there. Um, and then staying down for the game on uh, on Sunday and, and hoping to see the Seahawks win. My record watching the Seahawks is not particularly great, Kenny. Um, at least I don't have to travel thousands of miles to watch them lose this year, if that is indeed the case, but hoping that they're going to win this one and uh, maybe they'll pick up even a few more uh, British-based uh, supporters along the way as well. And, uh, and hopefully that's going to be the case and it's going to be a good experience for all the Seahawks fans in the UK, of which there are many.
0: Yeah, I mean that's good. Any uh, any advice in terms of for people if they're if they're going to be around Wembley Stadium, things to do, bars, uh, pubs, I suppose, uh, to check out, food, anything like that.
1: So Wembley Stadium, since the Olympics, has become a very different place than it was before. Wembley is a bit of an industrial area. It's it's the single worst place for a national stadium that you could ever imagine. I mean, it's just plonked in the middle of um, like a, a really small part of London. And uh, there's just no space if forget if I don't know why you would if you were travelling from America, for example, don't try and park at Wembley. You know, go everywhere by train uh, and the subway. Do not try and park near Wembley because it'd be an absolute disaster. Um, if you th- there's a, a loads and loads of bars and restaurants and everything around Wembley Stadium. The surrounding area of the stadium is completely different um, to when I was going there when it was first built. I, did, I covered a few games, for the BBC there, playoff games and stuff. And uh, essentially, there were there were two hotels outside the stadium. One was called the Quality Inn, which was an ironic name because uh, it certainly wasn't very good. And uh, the other one looked a bit like I don't know if anyone's ever been on the Hollywood Tower of Terror at Disney World, but it looked a bit like that. um those are long gone now and there's there's some new hotels that are a lot better. there's lots of restaurant shops you know you probably about seven Starbucks around Wembley Stadium. there's um, loads and loads of places to where you can go for a drink. I'm sure if you the Seahawks fans will be congregating at many of the pubs that are around Wembley. I'm sure if you look at Google you you'll find those. Um, the train station at Wembley, I would not I would not suggest venturing into Wembley Town Centre very far. The last time I was at Wembley, Kenny, was in May for a playoff game in the English Soccer Leagues. And while I was getting some money out of a cash machine, some guy offered me, uh, suggested, would I like to buy some pills from him? Um, which I kindly rejected the offer and and went along my way but that's that's the kind of place we're talking about here so I would if if you're sort of in Wembley and you're not staying right next to the stadium one of the great hotels I would suggest getting on the the subway getting into downtown London of course it's one of the biggest and best cities in the world you there'll be a million things for you to do there I suspect if people are coming over from Seattle they're probably making a week of it um and they'll want to do all the tourist stuff and there's loads and loads you'll never fit everything into a week in london you really probably need about 10 days to do everything it's it's so busy um if anybody wants i mean I've, I've you've put the question to me here kenny i've not prepared anything but if people who are listening to this want any advice um who are field goals readers or see extra blog readers who are already even if you don't read either but are just listen to this podcast if you want to Fire a question my way on Twitter at Rob Staten. I will endeavour to answer that question for you. If it's something about London, if it's about bars, if it's about places to stay, if it's things to do during the weekend, I'm happy to answer those questions and be as helpful as possible. Um, and I would just say, have a great time. You know, it's, it's London is a really good city. Um, I don't. I've I've travelled to different countries and been to a lot of big cities. I've never really been anywhere quite like London. Um, I'm sure you're going to love it. Uh, we're, we're a nice bunch over here in England, and I'm and I'm sure you're going to have a great time. And let's hope the Seahawks win as well.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and I want to, you know, I had a few things, uh, a couple of things pop into my mind about the Seahawks. So we'll wrap up the Seahawks um, really quickly here because I just have a few. I, I want to get your thoughts on a few players, um, and sort of discuss these players right now seem to be. On the bubble of sorts, and just sort of your idea. You know, I don't know when the next time we'll do this podcast is. You know, they'll play the writers and then they got a bye week. So maybe we won't do it for a couple more weeks. Um, and I don't even know necessarily if all these players will be on the rock. One of them, I think, won't be on the roster, but uh, the other ones are a little bit younger. And I'm kind of curious your thoughts on where they're at right now. Um, but when the Seahawks come back in week eight after their bye week, Would you say that Brandon Marshall will be on the roster or do you think he won't be? What are your thoughts right now on Brandon Marshall?
1: Uh, My thoughts on Brandon Marshall are are probably the same as everybody else's, really. I mean, he's not making plays. He's losing playtime to David Moore, who is making plays. And I think if there was a saving to be had there, then um, they they would probably take it. The problem is is that his salary is guaranteed now. He's only earning a million dollars. Uh, he doesn't seem to be causing any issues. I mean, he's not complaining, is he, in, in the media about his lack of catches. He seems to just be getting on with it. Um, so I, I just think that... I think uh, I was listening to to the 7.10 ESPN podcast, the Brock and Soul podcast earlier today, and uh, one of the, the people on the show suggested if Tanner McAvoy can survive uh, you know, a couple of full seasons on the Seahawks roster, then Brandon Marshall probably can, and that's probably mm-hmm. a good way of probably a good way of looking at it. You, you never quite know when you might just need that veteran experience. So I think he probably will be on the roster, but I'm not holding out much hope of an impact.
0: Um, A player who, you know, his first two years, just decimated by injuries mostly. And then this season, uh, injuries again have popped up. Uh, but he also... We don't know necessarily if CJ ProSize would be able to play. He's not even in a position to play. We talked about how Rashad Penny can't get on the field. So why would CJ ProSize, even if he was healthy? You know, he's inactive the last couple of weeks, maybe a groin injury, whatever. Um, and fans get frustrated. And I always try to encourage fans like, Look past the frustration, see the talent, understand, you know, that Paul Richardson was once a player that you didn't want on this team, you know, one or two years in, you didn't want Paul Richardson. You were sick of him being on the injury report and getting injured. And a lot, people just get so tired of losing those things. But, you know, you got to fight through being tired of it and realize is the long t- these cheap players, the long-term benefit, is it better to hold on? But CJ Prosize is now, you know, he's only got one year left on his rookie deal. He's in his third year. He has played, I don't even know, maybe the equivalent of a few games worth of snaps. It's got to be, get to the point too, when you've got Carson, Davis, Penny, um, how much longer does C.J. ProSize remain as a running back? Do they move him to wide receiver? Is there something else you can do with C.J. ProSize? They talked him up all offseason. Brian and I were client claimed that C.J. ProSize was someone they were excited to use. Um, and he's not being around right now. And even if he was healthy, I don't know if he would get in. So what are your thoughts right now on the, 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 the progress of CJ process but also just if he, where he would even fit on this roster if he was healthy?
1: Well, I think people need to remember here that the Seahawks have have committed to being a, a run-heavy team, as we've seen in the last three or four weeks. And as a consequence of that, they're going to need a stable at backs. And especially with Carson not having a, a long history of, of staying healthy and, you know, you've essentially got Mike Davis and Rashad Penny there, it makes sense to have the four running backs that you like and that you've brought to the team. So I don't think there's any, anything to be gained really by moving CJ prosize on for somebody who may or may not work at a different position. And if in sort of two or three weeks' time, let's say Carson got an injury or and or Mike Davis or Penny then you'd be quite grateful for having someone with his talent on the roster. And I get it. You know, it's it's very frustrating that he keeps picking up these injuries, Kenny. I think we we can all speak to that as Seahawks fans and followers. Um, but there's just no reason to move him on. There's just no benefit. You're not making a big saving. There you know, was
0: so- one, uh, if I may just quickly interject, only because the only thing I could see coming up is week nine, JD McKissick is eligible to return. So there mm-hmm. could be an opportunity for a swap of similar players uh, to consider there.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's a possible option. Absolutely. Um, whether or not, though, it, it, again, it depends on the situation, doesn't it? If if all the, the other three backs were healthy and productive, then I could definitely see that being an option there because McKissic gives you something a little bit different and ProSize is, is not having an impact at the moment. So you might be able to use McKissic in a way that you can't with ProSize. Uh, but if there's any injury doubt about the others, I think that ProSize is in a much better position to be. A lead runner, if you want to call it that, you know, and someone who could take on twenty carries. I don't know; people are going to say oh, we will get injured after five carries, but you know what? He's 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 a sturdier build, isn't he? So he could run up the middle. He can do all of that. If if you ask him a to do that, then he might get broken in half trying to run up the, the middle of a, a an offensive line. So um, I, I don't think there's any reason to 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 get rid of him, and uh, I think that they're going to keep him.
0: And uh I don't think that the Seahawks are gonna get rid of this player either, uh, in terms of the investment and the promise and what there is to gain from it. Um, but a year ago we were talking pretty highly of Nazaire Jones and thought of him as maybe, you know, him and Jaron Reed would be the future there defensive tackle. Um, Jones is 24 years old. And last year, you know, in his very first game, he had. That pick six with Aaron Rodgers, that you know was not a six, and uh, but it was right there. And you saw the athleticism, and that he get to the quarterback, and and now he is falling well, it seems well behind Puna forward uh, on the depth chart. Um, can be a healthy scratch some weeks. Uh, Nazair Jones was a guy that. You know it was seemed like the only thing holding back was injuries, but I haven't seen him in terms of being any injured uh, this season, and he doesn't seem to be playing. He seems to be uh, going backwards in his development from at least the way that we perceived it a year ago. So any thoughts there on Jones?
1: It's a confusing one because like I say, I think we all expected him after a, a decent rookie season to just carry on and at the very least be what he was last season. and he's not and he's he's moved behind several players, you know Puna Ford, Shamar Steven he's uh, obviously well behind Jaron Reed. so um, yeah it's, it's disappointing and only hope is that maybe they tried in the off-season or he lost a bit of weight to be a bit of pass rusher and it's just not worked and he's struggling to get the weight back on or I don't know or, or if he's just yeah. if, if the others are playing so I mean that's the other thing that's, it's possible that the others are just playing so well or it could be a situational thing maybe in a game like this they thought we need to stop Todd Gurley, and therefore we're going to play these players because they're better against the run. And maybe Naz will play against Oakland because and Puna will sit out because maybe they'll think, ah, do you know what? Having a more lighter, uh, better pass rusher is better than having another run stopper in this type of game. I don't know, maybe they are coming up against Marshawn, so uh, maybe that's not the, the right thing to say. But um, it might just be a situational thing. But fingers crossed as the year goes on, he can, he can have more of an impact because it would be a real shame... To see him play as well as he did as a rookie and then just fade into obscurity.
0: Um, Yeah, let's wrap up the current Seahawks team team, you know, they'll be playing the Raiders this uh, Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, so, you know, hopefully the Seahawks be back to 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Let's, you know, I want to take a quick time here at the end of the episode of 3,000 NFL mock draft to do some uh, NFL draft type stuff, uh, talking about, you know, college football. Also, I mean, I guess I'm already going to lie about what I just said, um, but based because one thing I do want to talk about, not necessarily about the Seahawks directly, um, but you know something that you wrote about on cxdraftblog.com this week uh, and something that people have been talking about a little bit in terms of looking ahead to next year. Uh, is if the Seahawks, you know, have opened up m- m- money and you know aren't re-signing or franchise-tagging Earl Thomas, that you know they could have 15 or 20 or something million dollars on some star player that they at least maybe want to make a push for. And a lot of people talking about Jadavian Clowney. And I just curious because you brought him up too. Like, do you not expect the Houston Texans to retain Clowney? Do you expect him to be a player that gets out because they're already paying J.J. Watt, or or is that something that you're ju- uh, that a lot of people are ju- just um, maybe, just assuming at this point because of because of what or whatever. Do you expect Clowney to be available?
1: Yeah, I think there's a decent chance of that. Um, I'm just checking now because I, I don't think that. I just want to make sure that all my facts are right on this. Um, uh-huh. The Houston Texans did they take up his fifth year option? Uh, is this the fifth year option now? I think it is, isn't it? So um, they've they've had him for the five years. They uh-huh. I would be very surprised if they franchised him because you would be looking at... I'm just looking at the franchise numbers for this year. Um, you're looking at $17 million for a defensive end this year and bear in mind that a lot of players have got paid since then. And I, I remember hearing something earlier that suggested that number could be closer to $20 million to franchising this year mm-hmm. and I just don't see... The, I mean the Houston Texans are pro, are they going to go for that? I I'm not sure. You know, I'm really not sure that they would they would be willing to stretch to that. I mean, they have um, a bit of money this year that they could if they wanted to do something now. They possibly mm-hmm. could have done. I'm just having a look to see how they're tied up for the rest of. This. So they're, they're in a similar situation to the Seahawks. I think they've got quite a lot. They've got sort of like 86 million dollars to spend next year. Uh, the Seahawks got about 60. So if they wanted to do it, they could do it. I think that it's just that because he is such a game wrecker and because he's at such a good age, you don't usually see them sort of let it drift this long. So, I mean, there's there's every chance they could franchise him. There's every chance they could keep him. I just think for me, he's the most appealing one, and I think the Cowboys are going to do everything to keep keep Demarcus Lawrence for the way that he started this year. Um, I don't have any particular interest in Ziggy Ansah. He's older. It's going to be expensive. He's been injured to start this season. Um, Dante Fowler's another player that gets mentioned and just seems to have had a really weird career in Jacksonville I think is the one that if you could get him even I mean, and I'd be happy to spend some money on him if you put him across from Frank Clark you've got Rasheem Green in there and then you get either an interior pass rusher or you get some speed off the edge as well to complement what you've got you've got a really explosive dominant looking defensive line there the type that if they had that on Sunday I think they would have beaten the Rams um, and uh, it's just an exciting thing to consider uh, if Clowney is franchised or kept by Houston or somewhere else. The good thing is, is that this draft class is full of defensive linemen, so they should be able to get at least one. It's just a shame that they don't have another high pick um, to go and maybe get another in round two and, and be able to focus on the draft rather than having to do something in free agency. I think the fact that they only have one first-round pick next year and only four picks in the draft in total and they're unlikely to get any comp picks... Means they probably are going to have to be active in free agency.
0: Um, and let's you know wrap it up by uh, you know you talking about the fact that whether or not they get clowny or or whatever you know if they get out in the free agency. I think everybody wants to uh, what you said, which is re-sign Frank Clark, sign someone notable at least, and draft somebody early. Uh, and it's that draft that a lot of people are focusing on with a lot of, particularly this being a nice pass rush type draft. Uh, and the Seahawks, you know, whether they're gonna be picking in the middle or the end of the top of the first round or whatever. Uh, there should be options of different varying degrees there. Um not likely at this point that they would have any shot at Nick Bosa um because uh, the Cardinals and 49ers exist and you know there's definitely worse teams in the NFL right now. So unless Russell Wilson gets hurt, you know the CFs have already won a couple games. So it'd be interesting. Uh then maybe not that tier, but there's a lot of good names. So like you know, in terms of looking ahead and and guys that you think are gonna outperform maybe their their draft spot you know anyone that you're looking at there and and you know i know that um, you had your eye on someone in particular this weekend. So, you know, what do you uh,
1: want to say about that? Yeah, there's some really good players that are going to be, uh, and some of the names will be very familiar to people. I don't think the Seahawks are going to have much chance at, at Nick Bosa, like you said, or Cleland Ferrell or Ed Oliver. You know, these are three players that are probably going to be in the top five. They, they could go in a top five in any particular draft class. You know, it's not just that this year they, they're they the ones who were there. You know, I think if Farrell had come out this year, he probably would have gone in the top five. Um, Ditto Boza and Oliver so they're destined to to be out of range they're going to go to the teams that win sort of two to four games this year. Um, then you've got players like Devin White, a linebacker, incredible athlete, fantastic consistency, um, really good player for LSU. I think Christian Wilkins at Clemson is going to go a lot earlier than some others believe. I just think he's too freaky in terms of his athleticism, great character, has had a great year so far and is an interior pass rusher. There aren't too many of those, so I think he's going to go very, very early. And I think Brian Burns at Florida State is a player that doesn't get... Um, anywhere near as enough attention as he should do is just having an incredible year Kenny just fantastic season so far Um, he's got nine sacks and nine and a half TFLs already on a bad Florida State team and he just looks like the real deal and I think he's going to go in the top ten if he keeps this up Um, so they're kind of the players that I don't think they've got much of a chance at Then you look at some of the others I could easily see Dexter Lawrence and Raekwon Davis Getting into sort of the top twelve range, and and again, perhaps being out of range for the Seahawks if they have more than eight wins. Uh, but I think the player that is most, possibly most intriguing at the moment, and you know some of those are the names that I mentioned there would be would be equally as good if they were around. Um, is a guy called uh, Joshe Polite from Florida, and I was watching him this weekend, and what a game he had against LSU and. Florida have a couple of... They have Zuniga on one side and they have Polite on the other. There were two really good pass rushers, both eligible, eligible for the draft next year. Um, and it was interesting to see that LSU double-teamed Polite every single time. They, they left Zuniga and, let, and he had an impact because he, got, he was 1v1 all day. And Polite got the double-team. They chipped him. They put two blockers in front of him. There's a tight end in there. The running back could come across and help out. And Polite still made plays. He was just relentless in the backfield. Great spin move to to force a pressure on one play. You um, can beat you for speed off the edge. He's so quick. He's, he's got a repertoire. His effort is unbelievable. He just plays this hair on fire. And it's that quickness. You just look at him and you think, this guy's going to have a great, 10-yard split. You know, he's going to get in the 1.5s. So that's what he looks like anyway on tape. Um, and that's perhaps something that, that they're missing a little bit at the moment. Frank Clark's an explosive pass rusher. If they got someone like Clowney again, you're talking explosive, big, freakish ability. Rashim Green's more of a bigger type, isn't he? Um, than, than necessarily a quicker. Uh, linear type of guy and, and polite just is just got that explosive speed, that raw speed to get to the quarterback. And I think that's something they're going to look for. I think speed is something they're missing in that front seven, um, aside from the obvious one, Bobby Wagner. So um, I think that's going to be a possible target for them. And I just think Joshe Polite. Could be someone that they really zone in on at the first round. He is going to have to match. You know, we know what they like by now. We know what they like from pass rushes. He's going to have to be very, very athletic. He's going to have to be long, uh, but someone to keep an eye on. And then just a few other names for now that I think uh, could be worthy. DeAndre Walker at Georgia talked about him before. Really like him as a Sam Leo type, really aggressive player. You've got Derek Brown, who's like a one or a three technique inside. Uh, Rashawn Gary, flattest to, to deceive sometimes at Michigan. But another really good defensive line prospect has got... Great physical abilities and, and maybe his best footballs to come. Uh, Draymond Jones, defensive tackle at Ohio State, perhaps nobody's done more than him to improve his stock this year. Really athletic and quick, and has lived in the backfield this year. Just a little bit worried about his run defense. And then maybe a little bit further down, you're looking sort of late first round. You've got players like Zach Allen at Boston College really quick for his size. He's having a fantastic season for Boston College, but his testing is going to be important. Isaiah Bugs has got, I think it's six sacks, six and a half TFLs, more of a run defender, but is adding some pass rush this year as well. Austin Bryant is the, the other name from the Clemson Quartet, who's having a really um, strong season again. Maybe a little bit quiet in the last couple of weeks, but as, as generally um, around the ball. And you've got players like Josh Allen, Kentucky stand-up rush linebacker, could be a Sam Leo, Joe Jackson's having a productive year for Miami, pure defensive end there. And Jerry Tillery uh, from Notre Dame is, is just racking up the TFLs, uh, which is not easy to do from his position at defensive tackle and, and playing some of that, that one technique there as well. Uh, nine TFLs from him already, which is for a season, that would be a good number for a defensive tackle. But to have it, I mean, we're not even halfway through the season so far in college football. So to have that number is, is really impressive. And and this is the good thing. You know, Kenny, I think anybody coming out of that game against the Rams on Sunday would say the Seahawks, probably in the offseason, are going to be looking at defensive line and front seven. This draft is tailor-made for that. And as I mentioned before, it's just a shame, just a shame that they don't have that second-round pick to potentially go and and get a couple of good front-seven defenders from this class.
0: Well, we'll see what happens over the uh, ensuing 11 games. Oh, man, we are tearing through the 2018 season. Uh, I still hope that the Seahawks, that includes some playoff games because – uh, you know, it's just a long offseason. You never know what's going to happen in 2019. So, let's see the Seahawks, you know, get out there, beat the Raiders, get to the bye week, get healthy. you didn't mention the fact, another thing, you know, just Doug Baldwin has not been present in this offense at all. And they still, you know, have done some things right. And just imagine the difference in this offense if Doug Baldwin had been there, if he had been healthy um, and he really just looks like he cannot contribute at a high level right now. Um, but if they can get there in the second half, if there's some healing. If you're looking at an offense with Tyler Lockett, who is breaking out, uh, Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, Mike Davis, you know, getting, maybe getting Rashad Penny mixed in there, uh, Doug Baldwin, David Moore, Ed Dixon, you know, a much better offensive line. Maybe the Seahawks offense can be something worth watching over the rest of the season. And defensively, if they can get KJ right back, Um, if they can get some more, you know, uh, you know, Frank Clark sick this week, lost 12 pounds, still gets out there. They get healthier with Frank Clark. If Deion Jordan manages to find his way back into being a productive pass rusher like he was in his five games last year, um, the progress of Jaron Reed into being a Pro Bowl type defensive tackle. I don't know if he's a Pro Bowl quite yet, but he looks like he's, you know, making himself much more known there in both the pass rush and run defense. Um, the progress of Trey Flowers. The fact that you know Shaquille Griffin and Justin Coleman had uh, unusually bad games this week, and they, hopefully they play better. Maybe some more experience from Tedrick Thompson. The progress of Bradley McDougal. I got plenty of positive things to say about the Seahawks, but I'll have a lot more positive things to say if they can just get a blowout win over the Raiders and really feel like they got a big win with no, uh, you know, no hiccups. Just have a good win, four quarters. The Raiders are terrible. Uh, make it known. Uh, If you have questions about London, if you're traveling to the game, you can fire them off at Rob Staten, S-T-A-T-O-N. You can also ask me, and I'll tell you I don't know. Uh, And that's at Field Goals or at Kenneth Arthur S. Go to SeahawksDraftBlog.com to read a lot of the stuff that we talked about this week. Get yourself a little bit more uh, educated on some of those college players that Rob was talking about. Um, And FieldGoals.com, you know, for other Seahawks news. And uh, you know, uh, again, you can get a little bit more info on what uh, my My thoughts are on the way the Rashad Penny pick is working on working out so far right now. Um, And uh, that's it. So uh, uh, for this podcast, 3000 NFL mock draft, you know, you can subscribe on iTunes at Seaside chats with Kenneth Arthur um, or just find it on field goals or Seahawks draft blog. All right. That's enough. Uh, This has been this episode of the show. Come back next time for a brand new draft.